0: So if I'm tweeting out something that is like touching the line, but not crossing it, that's the whole goal is just to kind of mock a situation or satirize it. God, it's such a dark thing that we're always going to be looking for that new scapegoat. With the internet, the need for a scapegoat is considerably more frequent.
1: Has there ever been a point where you've thought, ah, maybe it's time to close up shop? How close have you come to that?
2: There's a very conscious reason why I act the way that I act on Twitter. I just feel like there's so much negativity that it's almost harder, but it's worth it to be a person who's just making hot dog jokes.
1: Yeah, you can say brain dead things on Twitter and Facebook. Like anybody can do that. But why not LinkedIn? That's the challenge for 2021 is to get real awkward. Well, on I'm going to have to make a LinkedIn
0: <laughs> right after this, reserve my name. <laughs> it's to get quickly banned from LinkedIn.
2: <laughs> hey, welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. This is the home of Make Something Mean Something. We are live on Discord because it's TCU Night Wednesday night 6 p.m. Eastern we are always here with you and for you. We have our chat open to all of our patrons, our $2 tots, our dumpster crew, our infantry and our illustrious baby gang. But for free and for everyone, are about 10 million people listening right now because we have a very exciting a episode lot. for you. Is that not Is that not right, Matthew Tabor?
1: Yes, it's absolutely true. This is fantastic turnout. I can't even count them. I can't even count. Uh, I can't even count uh, in general.
2: It's very hard. <laughs> <I
1: know>. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the real breaking news here is Vsauce 2 can't <laughs> count beyond his fingers. Uh, <laughs> so 50 years ago, I was thinking about the history today, uh, 50 years ago, about 1970, 71, A man named Dr. Demento began a radio show that played parodies and nonsense and off-color songs that touched on taboo themes, and they were often quite dark. Uh, He single-handedly launched the career of Weird Al. Uh, With over 200 million views on YouTube, Rusty Cage has carried that torch into a new century of Black comedy and popular appeal. Uh, And speaking of of dark, comedic doctors, uh, Rusty recently portrayed Dr. Retardo, a mad (laughs) puppet master controlling H3H3's half-nude Ethan Klein, and that earned Rusty a permanent ban from the TikTok platform. Rusty's songs are occasionally dangerous. Uh, One of his most popular is about the knife game, in which one rapidly stabs a knife between his extended fingers in a defined pattern... Preferably while one is stumbling drunk. 25 million people have watched that on YouTube alone. And it's important to watch rather than just listen. Uh, Otherwise, you hear this this poppy timber of a woodblock on a quick beat. In reality, that's Rusty stabbing the knife into a table as he successfully executes the knife game at increasing speeds. Uh, Occasionally, he goes rated G, uh, like the family-friendly noose song. (laughs) Rusty is... A real artist, though, uh, the, ki- the kind of artist that artists themselves like. He's a, a kind of triathlete of creative talent with humor, music and also illustration. His comic Requiem of the Crazies has been successfully crowdfunded again, absolutely smashing the goal. Uh, to make its third volume, and you'll want to reserve an issue of that. We'll put a link in the description. He's also something of a popular scientist, as he's recently conducted a 30-day public experiment of his own sobriety, and he's developed social theories about white girls and dogs. He's, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, I can't do it. Okay, he's <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i threw that in right at the last second as we were talking and i thought yeah i can read this without a problem no i, I can't actually <laughs> <laughs> he's uh rusty is a third of the trash rats podcast with Simeon jimmy who has never gone by another name on youtube and reactor uh check out episode number 16 with meat canyon if you liked last week's conversation with papa meat and anytime eggy is on it's a must listen this introduction makes Rusty sound, sound a little insane, but he's delightful to be around. He's famous within the creator community for his hospitality, hosting, welcoming, extremely chill parties. The first time I stepped foot into one, someone immediately asked me if I wanted to go into Rusty's shed to eat raw eggs for a video. Um, I declined, and it's very high on my list of regrets. So, look, Rusty, you're the world's expert on crazy who is normal?
0: Well, first I gotta say thank you for that very thorough and uh uh, uh great intro that you gave me. You w- w- you say who is normal? Yeah. Is any I don't then. know. Well, yeah, I guess some people are normal, but uh yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of normal people. There there's the normies that are out in society all the time and they just kind of uh get all their humor from, you know, Facebook and whatever their workplace banter is. But I'm sure they all have their own quirks and weirdness about them, whether they tell people or not. Um, I don't know. Maybe the um, the the Southern Baptists are normal.
2: <laughs> Specifically,
0: <laughs> what about yeah.
2: uh, all of us who are on the internet all day? Are, are there any normal people who are on the internet all day, or, or are those just... Is that what Facebook is?
0: Yeah, that's what I think Facebook is like whenever I I spend most of my time, I feel like nowadays on Twitter and uh, you just get like the the strangeness from all over the place. You're allowed to just follow whoever the hell you want. You go back to Facebook and it's it's people like sharing like Twitter's trash or maybe not just Twitter's trash, but the rest of the Internet's trash memes. And, you know, they're giggling about something that just kind of makes me cringe to look at because it's something that was, I don't know, funny a month ago. But I feel like that is about as close to normal as you can get on the internet is just Facebook, talking to your family or whatever, your grandparents. Do you think you're going to last
1: too much longer um, on Twitter? Do you think any of us are?
0: Oh, my God. Well, I don't know if I should I mean, be today saying this, but this is like my fifth iteration on Twitter. I've been kicked off <laughs> four or five times at this point. So it's hard to say if I'm going to last, but I... I don't know. It, like, is it going to be so washed down and or watered down that it's just going to be like any strangeness, anything remotely critical or um, or or straying away from whatever narrative the media is forcing Twitter to push? Like, are they just going to force us all out for even questioning this or posting something that might be against TOS? That's constantly growing larger and larger and more vague, just so they can pick and choose who they want and who they don't want to be on their platform. It's possible they'll kick us all off. And I, I know that that day's probably going to come again for whatever reason. I don't know yet. I saw today I don't know, just the other huge, day. Oh, oh sorry, I, I was
1: going to say just a huge uh, amount of people today left for minds. Uh, now that, you know, some of the others like, like parlor at least paralyzed, if not dead. Uh, but a bunch of, a bunch of people, many of whom are on not their first account. Uh, They just took off voluntarily for Mines because they thought that it was going to be a matter of time before they got nuked anyway.
0: Yeah, I I wonder if this is actually going to last because I I feel like every time there is a Twitter purge, you know, people will create accounts on Parler or Mines or uh, I guess Gab is another competitor. Sorry. Um, But then I think if those sites don't actually take off and if you don't instantly build a community, people just end up, coming right back to Twitter because that's where everyone is. So, I I'm I'm surprised like why why didn't they take down mines or is there not, you know, people saying controversial things on there or I don't know, calling for violence or something. I'm not really sure why I, they even took parlor off. It's it's still so strange to me. To me that's like one of the scariest things that they just can completely nuke a website for seemingly no reason other than I don't know. It's like they they the reason why they say they nuked it was the same reason are the same things that people do on Twitter all the fucking time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, uh, with, with, uh, with Parler too, it was weird because, you know, they did that end around nuke, sort of like, uh, uh, the LA County government, like shutting off people's power and electricity because they, they had, you know, parties during the the COVID era. Um, Uh, they shut down Amazon web services, which, you know that doesn't directly shut down Parler, but it effectively does. It, it obliterates uh, Parler's ability to to, to operate. Uh, they claim they're going to be back up in a week. Who knows if that's true? Uh, but it's what's it what's it like to be in your position where you've got uh, edgyish stuff here and there, um, uh, things that that can really rile certain groups who are happy to report. Uh, Accounts as well. When you're kind of perpetually on the chopping block, I mean, what's that? What's that I know, like?
0: Well, I I feel like that on a lot of websites. I mean, especially YouTube, or at least first on YouTube, where the the thing is, I guess in my head, I don't think that I'm doing anything incorrect against the terms of service, or at least that's not my intent. And so, if I'm yeah. tweeting out something or posting something that is like touching the line but not crossing it. That's the whole goal is just to, you know, uh, try to not really rile people up, but kind of mock a situation or satirize it. But it's it's very frustrating because I don't know what like if what I'm about to do is going to get my channel nuked or is it going to get me blacklisted or get my uh, Twitter suspended. And so it's a lot of second guessing myself. Um, I don't know. It's it's a. I guess sometimes like whenever I'm just drinking late at night, I don't really care. Like I'll I'll kind of tweet something and then wake up the next day and go, "Oh fuck, I should probably delete that." (laughs) Like it seemed like a great idea the night before, and I was saying, "Who cares if I get my Twitter suspended? I'll make a new one." But it's like it's such an asset to even have a Twitter or to have a YouTube. That's really like these are the major ways of reaching out to an audience. So it they kind of have you under their thumb a little bit, and you have to play by the rules and figure out what you can and can't get away with. And I guess the thing that really bothers me is whenever, you know, you get a strike or you get reprimanded for something you tweeted, And then you see just famous people like the check marks and and they're allowed to say whatever Mm. the hell they want. And I mean, I guess there's just a double standard there. Like once you're verified or whatever, you can kind of, you know, you have a lot more leeway.
1: Mm. I saw that David Cross as a checkmark. You know, I, I loved David Cross in the 90s. Kevin and I have talked about how much we loved Mr. Show. (laughs) <laughs> with with bob and david right. like D- david cross is an incredibly funny guy i like him in terms of his work but you know he, he's out there trying to flip the switch on the on the boogaloo uh and nobody seems to care
0: i really haven't i haven't followed him on a, on twitter is he just mouthing off constantly
1: yeah he, he uh um just had one of those responses that was like you know all these people calling for uh uh violence whatever let's do it and you know yeah. Look, I, I don't know how somebody would. He his said, Constitution "I want blood." Is. I think that's
0: what he
2: said. Yeah. That's Which, right. like, if that's not an <laughs> if that's not inciting violence, I
0: don't know what is <laughs> <laughs> calling for blood. <laughs> right. And so then there's like this thing too, where you know, it, it, when everyone's put in this position where it's like, oh, they're allowed to say this, but you are not. The elites can say it, you can't. And I, I don't want to hate on. David Cross, because, I mean, he's always been an edgy comedian, from what I understand. So it's like, yeah. he's just doing what he does. Uh, but it, it does kind of, like, make this hatred, like, a slight hatred for these people, for David Cross, where, you're like, you just don't like that he's allowed to get away with stuff that the average person isn't. How is anyone else supposed to come up these days doing something edgy or, or towing the line or whatever? It's, it's not allowed anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there... Is there anybody who who you hate, who you wish you could just rip on with zero consequences? <clears throat>
0: uh, no, I no, not really, because I I, I like everyone's take. I, I follow a lot of people that I don't like um, just to kind of get a different perspective, to see everyone else's viewpoints on something, even if they're loudmouths or if they're not. But I don't really see anyone... You know, in particular, saying something that I I absolutely hate them for. I understand there's like hustlers out there. There's con men out there. Everyone's just doing their own thing. So whenever someone's playing a role, for instance, someone like, um, I don't know, like Sean King, you know, the uh, uh, talcum X pretending (laughs) to be a a black guy. And I'm like, well, that's his that's his hustle. So whatever, I can respect that. He's just doing what he has to do to make some cash, you know, get his uh, his message out there.
2: What were the things that you got banned for um from Twitter?
0: It's all bullshit. All of it all of it is bullshit. So all right, maybe the first two times it was my fault. The the first time I got suspended was I kind of went on like a tirade, late night tirade. I was uh I was drinking a little bit and um I was posting these videos where I was pretending that like Sargento cheese was holding me hostage at gunpoint (laughs) and forcing me to tweet out like really positive things about Sargento and, you know, Sargento, there's no better Wednesday night than taco night with Sargento cheese. (laughs) And, uh, later that night I ended up changing my avatar. So it had the Sargento logo over it. And I guess that's considered impersonation. So I I got suspended the first time for impersonating a cheese company. Um, (laughs) One one of them was I was I was waiting for Red Dead Redemption 2 to come out and I tweeted out uh, I I can't wait for Red Dead Redemption 2 to come out so I can drag a prostitute behind my horse and then put bait on her and let a cougar eat her. And I guess that's considered a threat and they have like a a zero zero uh, tolerance policy against
2: a threat to a video game character yeah
0: npcs a video game game character for a video game that hadn't even come out yet and that's what you're supposed to do in the game you're supposed to do violent things so i was just showing my excitement for the upcoming game but (laughs) that that was like a whole thing where people kind of figured out a loophole in in twitter's system where you know anyone saying anything that could be remotely construed as threatening they could just uh, report it and twitter has zero like uh, uh no checking system no no support or anything so if they see the strike and they read it or their bots read it and they say yep that's absolutely a threat they'll just nuke your account so uh-huh. really i mean you can get like people were getting you know suspended left and right for saying things like oh my god i could kill my friend right now because he peed on uh-huh. my couch you know he's not actually going to kill his friend but that's enough to you know get you suspended
2: Right, right. Did he, this is a major plot point in Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> I don't know if you know that that movie. It's, yeah, isn't, yeah. I know it's
3: Twelve isn't Angry this, Men.
1: Isn't this like the nineteen fifties? Yeah, yeah. I thought I was. I thought I was pushing it when I referenced Doctor Demento starting <laughs> in seventy or seventy one. And now you're going further back. This is like I, I feel like it's a challenge at this point that I've got to pull some shit from the twenties in <laughs> yeah, a few minutes. Well,
2: look, you got to beat nineteen fifty seven. Twelve <laughs> Angry Men is a phenomenal, phenomenal film that completely holds up and I recommend it to anyone, literally anyone. There's no way to not like this film. It's fantastic. It's
0: classic. and in It definitely holds up. It holds up in the way that like everything they're saying, you know, it's like, oh, it's the three or the 12 jurors all uh, deliberating on whatever the the murder trial and everything that they're saying, everything they're arguing is still very relevant and you see all their arguments happening constantly and, you know, everyday life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of them is that, is that, um, the supposed, um, the supposed killer said like, I'll kill you or something. Right. And then, and, and one of the jurors makes the argument like, well, that's just a a turn of phrase. You know, anybody would say that and not really mean it. And, and later on in the movie, a guy who doesn't believe him says that. And that's like one of those like breaking moments of that juror. But that's exactly the point of that. Yeah, is that a a turn of phrase is not a threat.
0: Do you think that people are purposely being ignorant in order to kind of uh, um, get people, you know, deplatformed? Like whenever someone says something like that, like, oh, I could, oh, my God, I could kill them, And they go, see, this person's calling for violence when really just look at it. Is this actually what the person is saying or is it just very convenient that they said it? Now you can, you know, take action against them. Or do they actually uh, yeah. believe it? Or do they, do they like trick themselves into to believing their own uh their own hysteria?
1: Mm. On Twitter, I, I'm I'm gonna answer this one because I've been the subject of some of these things a bit more often than <clears throat> than uh, squeaky ke- squeaky clean Kevin Lieber, V sauce too. <laughs> uh I think it's about 80-20. There are so many where 80, 80% are really happy to take the opportunity to ding you. And they know full well that it is a turn of phrase or it's something that's out of context or just just anything that nullifies any any level of threat. Uh, but they're so thrilled to wield the pitchfork against you that they they run with it anyway. And I think about 20% truly do believe the stuff and they're they're kind of over-scared uh, they overreact to all sorts of things, and they think the world is an extremely, extremely dangerous place. By the way, at least in the U.S., it's not. And every bit of data we have uh, on on violent crime statistics shows a steady decline for like thirty years. It's so much safer now uh, than it was when we were kids. Yet you wouldn't you wouldn't think that from the way people talk. You know, everybody thinks they're going to get. Uh, you know, stabbed and abducted and shot and whatever if they stray like a block from their house. Uh, so a portion of people absolutely are convinced that you're a monster when you tweet these things. And the other 80% are quite happy to pretend.
0: Yeah. And even the ones that are pretending, I mean, that's a really malicious thing for them to do. And, you know, definitely, yeah, the crime rates are down. It, it It's strange when, you know, you go on social media and you watch the news and everyone's just talking about, how terrible the world is and how they're, you know, in the streets, there are villains. There's a new villain every week ready to attack you for whatever, whatever the the thing is this month, whether it's your religion or your race or your politics or whatever. But if you just go outside and talk to people, for the most part, you're not running into anything even remotely close to this. But people will still talk about it. it. It's almost like being afraid triggers a weird instinctual thing inside of humans that causes them to band together i mean Mm -hmm. i guess they get they Mm -hmm. get strength from knowing that there's a common enemy so the the media knows this so they're constantly pushing a new common enemy on you and that can you know cause everyone to band together and vote on a certain policy or um uh, something like that click
2: on this the thing they want you to click on Oh, right. Yeah. You know, it also just has commercial
0: reasons
2: (laughs) where people just want the attention. They want the clicks and yeah, kicking in that fear mechanism is, is such a low hanging fruit, easy way to do that. I've been watching this. Uh, (laughs) I want to update from a podcast that we did, uh, where I, a couple of podcasts ago where I talked about like, who's watching, you know, three hour YouTube videos. Well, I'm happy to report yeah. that I started watching a four and a half hour YouTube video. Oh my since god! Then. Um, it is a video explaining Twin Peaks, and it's four and a half hours. And I'm not going to bore people who aren't into Twin Peaks who are listening to this. But essentially, the, the the thesis of this video is that the the point of Twin Peaks is to talk about how television. Um, dehumanizes violence and feeds off of people's fears. And this is a show from like 1989, 1990 originally, and David Lynch was incredibly worried about the effect television was having on just scaring the crap out of everyone. Um, You know, and like that was their business. I feel like that business is booming now, and it's not obviously just TV. It's also the internet and it's a hundred, it must be a hundred times worse than it was in 1990. I feel like that's everything now. Everything is all, here's what we're mad about. Not only here's what we're mad, what we mad about today, but here's what we're mad about for the next 30 minutes and just wait until the next thing comes along in an hour. It's going to be even more rage inducing.
0: Well, it's, it's crazy to see how like the media finds a new boogeyman every other week. And everyone just completely their, focuses their attention towards that new thing and forgets about the horrible people that they were uh, uh, complaining about the week before. I mean, no one's, granted, they're kind of disbanded, but no one really complains about the Westboro Baptist Church anymore. But I remember that was something that you'd always hear about, about how they're That's protesting, simple. you know, a soldier's funeral or something, holding up the signs. Uh, I don't, probably shouldn't say what they say, but. God hates F slurs, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, one thing I I hate as I'm getting older is seeing how complacent my peers are becoming. Like They're no longer questioning what they're they're being told. They just go along with that thing because everyone else in the community uh, agrees with what they hear. And so if you don't hate this common enemy, then you are the outsider at this point. And I don't know, it just drives me nuts. Like, when did, when did we start just listening to the media and believing everything they say? And I hope I'm not coming off like a crazy guy, like, the media is lying to you, but they are. Oh,
1: I, I, it's com- completely sensible that you would say that they're over-focusing on something in a way that portrays it as being a bigger problem than it really is. And I'm really glad that you specifically mentioned Westboro Baptist Church because I had an experience with that in um, probably, I can't. I can't think about the past very well. It must have been about 15 years ago, uh, and I was in England for a while, and uh, somebody was was saying, you know, things are so dangerous in the U.S. I'm like, no, 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 it, there there really is no problem anywhere. And they said, well, well, but you've got you've got the Westboro Baptist Church. Look, this is literally like two dozen ding-dongs Right, <laughs> do right. an outrageous thing. They had no idea. Tom threw the link in the, the Wikipedia link in the chat, as Tom does. I click now. It says members right now are 70, 70. There are 300 million people in the United States right now. Uh, if there are dozens of people who do terrible things, which are on display for those 300 million people to look at and say, oh, that's nuts. Those people are crazy and completely discard them, it's it's really not much of a threat. But this person had no idea that it was a tiny, tiny, tiny the amount The amount of people listening to this right now on
2: Discord, you know, we could have a capture the flag game against the Westboro
3: Baptist <laughs> Church right.
2: and match up like almost one-to-one. And just to give you a sense, like there's not that many of them. And to think it's like yeah. this nationwide epidemic just shows you how skewed the that perception can be just from hearing it, you know, in on the news or, yeah. or whatever. Like it's this, this harrowing group. It's like the, it's like the movie, the warriors. Oh, <laughs> right. in,
0: Like in the nineties, it was just a normal thing to kind of, uh, bring these people on Jerry Springer and, and mock them, show them for, yeah. you know, the monsters that they are. They had like KKK members and grand wizards on every, uh, every other week. And, you know, on Howard Stern and whatnot. And people would just, listen to it and they would laugh and but then i think they realized along the way like wait a minute this is more than just entertainment this could be something that we can you know really rile everyone up and and build up the fear and tell them that you know the the kkk is alive and well and larger than ever i don't know how many people are in the kkk but i can imagine i would would, if i had to guess it would probably be less than 300 and so i don't know i mean you have to make it seem like they're everywhere they're They're your friends, not just the KKK, but whatever it is now, whether it's like Proud Boys or QAnon or the alt-right, which I thought was funny when that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And now that's like the largest threat in the country when four years ago, no one had even heard of it or even cared. And also it was kind of a joke whenever it started, from what I understand.
1: Kevin, I have a question for you and Rusty, we're going to talk about you as if you're not here right now. So okay, it's time to get awkward. Um, what, what I'm hearing though, from what both of you have said is that there's this scapegoat mechanism at play. And this is a, for the people who don't know, this is one of uh, the great videos that Kevin made years ago about human behavior. There's this uh, long one. The in- I think the invention of blame, is that what it's called, Kevin? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it sounds like the theme that you guys are discussing. Are you, is, is Rusty Cage a scapegoat on, on these platforms? Is this, is the, the banning and the uh, reporting and, and kind of general sneering in your direction, a function of people doing exactly what you're both talking about, uh, just on online media?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the scapegoat mechanism happens over and over again on small scales and on really, really large scales. And. That video, yeah, it's called "The Invention of Blame," and then parentheses scapegoat mechanism is the one video that I've made that I'm I'm so disappointed it doesn't have I like honestly like a hundred million views because to me and I mean you know Matt you've you worked with me on it you you know what that video what 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 information is and I just feel like it explains so so much about society because that's really what it's about like the the crux of the concept is that in order for societies to continue to stay together um instead of just people being at each other's throats and you know killing one another because you know this woman cheated with on on her husband with this guy or whatever um we had to create a scapegoat And everybody would band together. They would agree upon who the scapegoat is. They would sacrifice that scapegoat. And then for a certain amount of time afterwards, there would be peace because people would would think like, okay, we got rid of that person. Um, Eventually- The threat is gone. Yeah, the threat is gone. So there can be peace. But the problem is it just keeps happening. You know, you need a new scapegoat after a while and the cycle continues. Eventually, we, you know, humans stopped- Sacrificing other humans and then started doing stuff like sacrificing goats, which I think most people are pretty aware of that concept. And so we'd sacrifice farm animals, you know, to the gods or whatever in this idea of appeasing like kind of the gods and really just banding the group together and unifying around the scapegoat. And um, yeah, we're just obsessed with doing this. And it's such an old, at least according to Rene Girard, who came up with this concept, who's a French philosopher. Um, it's like the oldest, one of the oldest things that banded together humans and created human societies and human civilization eventually. So it's not something that we can get rid of, really. We're like born to do this. And the only hope is recognizing that it is a thing that we do and consciously try to come up with ways to avoid it but i mean it just seems that the connections that we have through social media have made it so much easier to do this rapidly and frequently whereas in the past without the internet like how often are you scapegoating in your town of a thousand people (laughs) and you just hang out with like the same 12 people all the time like there's just no need for it Uh, um uh not no need for it except for maybe Once in a lifetime or something, if something is going really bad in your town and everybody hates the mayor, so you get rid of the mayor, you don't kill them. But, you know, everybody kicks the mayor out and now the town's okay again. But now it's like people's full time jobs are scapegoating, it seems like.
0: Now, is that because of the media is is that because like clickbait culture, they they need the scapegoat because that is what you know gets people to click on their articles, or do they actually think that these people are bad at all? Or is it just like they they have to they have to make an enemy out of some random person. They have to find the scapegoat and build it up and to get everyone to agree that this person's an evil person. They need to be deplatformed. Um like is this just a, a big marketing ploy that's gone awry and taken control?
2: Uh I mean the thing is is that if nobody clicked on it, if people didn't like this, then it would go away. So I think like I'm more, I think about markets as emergent and not necessarily as top down. And I, and I think that essentially what the the media does is what people want and people want this because they keep feeding into it and they participate in it. And it's not just like air quotes, the media it's it's your family members like i see people on my facebook feed who are not members of any media and who are otherwise pretty well adjusted human beings and members of society who then log on to facebook.com and engage in this histrionic scapegoat mechanism as if it's the most important thing that they can do in their life and and it brings and it's what's bringing them meaning on a day-to-day basis
0: Right. Like, like one trying got, to one get deep. someone's book pulled from a store mm. or to, to get Alex yeah. Jones off of YouTube. I mean, did you solve any problem or is there, are their lives better? Did you really get rid of the bad guy or now you're bored? You got to look for a new bad guy, but it's, God, it's such a dark thing that humanity, we're always going to be looking for that new scapegoat. And, and with the internet, you know, I guess, like you were saying, like in a small town, you know, everything kind of moves a little bit slower. But with the internet, it's a new thing every day. There's so much information being thrown at you that the need for a scapegoat is considerably more frequent and probably mm-hmm. growing more frequent every day.
1: Mm-hmm. It does simplify things. If if there's some very complex, fast-moving situation, it doesn't matter if you can pin that on one person or one organization and then focus on them. All of a sudden, this very very nuanced complex situation becomes i hate x right let's let's uh take x down you know and there's this uh <clears throat> there's a kind of a little analysis joke that uh you can ask somebody what they think should be done about russia you know think of all the people on twitter and just be like oh what what should the how should the us approach relations with russia they're going to give you a, a fairly clear answer they're going to say, you know, it should be hostile or it should be friendly to reduce tension. They're going to have an answer though. But if you ask them like, like, Hey, on Saturday mornings around seven, my neighbor mows with a, a gas mower and God, it pisses me off. Cause it wakes me up. What do I do? What do I do there? And those same people are going to be like, Oh, that's a delicate situation. I <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to do You don't want to piss off your neighbor. Like this is really tough and they won't be able to give you an answer. And honestly, that's, that's, Uh, somehow more difficult than like international relations with Russia. Right. So no, when you can simplify things down to a very clear stance or a very clear enemy, um, then everything gets easier. And there's a a poem by I think uh, Cavafy called "Waiting for the Barbarians." Uh, that that's about this theme. Oh, I think I've done it, Kevin, because this must have been early, like around nineteen teens. I think I've. I pulled the timeline back. That's in the scapegoat um, video. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. C.P. <laughs> Kabafi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but the point. The point is, this poem of his poem is uh, these these politicians are discussing what to do about the barbarians, whatever, and the barbarians don't show up. And what do they do? They're totally purposeless and totally lost because they don't have that enemy defined, and they don't have that enemy to fight. They're just it's over for them. And that's total confusion. And I think that's the same now. If you can't say, well, Logan Paul is the worst person in the world for fil- or showing a dead body on YouTube or iDubbbz is the worst one for saying the N-word to Tana Mongoose or uh, I don't know, who is it, who is it now? You know, it, the whole commentary community is built on the scapegoat mechanism where it's uh, who today can I call out for being a, a piece of shit in some way?
0: I got a lot of um, respect for those guys for being able to kind of bounce back from that. I mean, I know it's it, it seems like it's more of a game whenever it comes to the commentary community. Like they're they're just looking for clicks and like they'll they'll hate some mm-hmm. some YouTuber or some creator that you've never heard of. And now everyone's talking about it. And then the second that that story kind of goes away, the person really takes that bad press and usually ends up running with it. I mean, Logan Paul and Jake Paul, they've done it so many times. I mean, I can respect Logan Paul for that. I mean, honestly, I I, I thought that is a, uh, I thought is a um, uh, suicide force video was awesome, but uh, <laughs> people kind of changed their minds to fit the narrative. Like, to it's like a faux outrage that you have to pretend like you really hate this person and for these reasons when normally you wouldn't care or you could laugh about the same thing. Or it's like how how friends can joke about something dark, but the second someone, an outsider says it or a public figure says something similar, now... You know, they're, they are the villain. And it's just like a lack of introspection, I suppose.
2: You know what it reminds me of is um, I'm going to flip this. I'm going to flip this away from outrage and to laughter. And when you go to a movie theater and you see a comedy in the theater amongst a crowd of people, you will laugh more often at that film because other people are laughing and it becomes contagious. And right. this is like a, a well-known a well-known thing, like the 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 stuff that will make you laugh when you're by yourself, it's not the same as with your with others. And if some guy three rows behind you is just like cackling, I mean, there there have been situations <laughs> where I've been watching TV, and you know, like I'm watching um, like a sporting like a, like like a football game or whatever, and the the commentators start laughing at something that I don't find funny. But they find it so funny that I start laughing like thousands of miles away by myself on my couch. I'm laughing at a thing I don't think is funny just because it's like, it's almost like the yawning thing where you Mm -hmm. see somebody yawn and then your, your, your mirror neurons or whatever say, Hey, you should probably yawn too. I think that there's an element of that to the, to this as well, where it's like, well, everybody else is mad. So I guess I should be mad about this too.
0: Yeah. And and with the internet, I feel like it it magnifies that effect where you kind of, you know, you need people around you to signify to you what you're supposed to feel to kind of know if you're normal. You know, that's like the healthy society. If everyone's yawning, then you know, everyone's tired. This is probably time to go to sleep. If everyone's laughing, oh, this is a funny thing. But I, I, I feel like what a lot of people are lacking now, and I don't want to say younger generations that kind of grew up with the internet, but I have a theory that they probably are affected by this more. They don't really have an opinion or, or like a, a thought out um, uh, like internal internal judgment system to tell them like, is this person bad? Is this bad or is this good? And so if everyone's saying it, then they have to say, all right, this person's bad. This idea is bad. This is funny. This is not funny. But then whenever you take something like that to, say, a comedy club where you can see a crude comedian making a lot of people laugh over something that they definitely would never admit to laughing to on, say, Twitter or Facebook, it's, it's a really strange thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, I'm glad you brought that up because the context matters. And a lot of comedians have spoken about that when someone will pull a joke out of a comedy club bit and they'll post it on twitter out of context and it it sounds like the most horrific thing any ever or or you could just write it in a tweet and you don't right. actually hear the comedian perform it you're just reading the words that that he or she spoke and all of a sudden it's the cause of you know grabbing your your torches and your pitchforks and the comedian's response is always like everyone in that room was hysterical laughing at that joke and to pull it out of the context of the comedy club and shine a light on it is isn't it's just it doesn't work like it's not it's not fair and you're uh, you're treating it differently and um
0: oh yeah like bill bird like, talks about that a lot and and i know louis ck kind of had that issue whenever people were re- were recording him as he was working on his act you know and, and comedy such a, a strange and unique thing where it's not funny until it's funny so when you see a comedian working on the ideas or working through the ideas, they kind of have to cross the line sometimes and they have to say things that aren't funny to know what isn't funny and then what people actually will laugh at. So whenever they would take Louis C.K.'s stuff out of context, a little bit out of context, I mean, it just wasn't his finished thing. It was just him at a stand-up trying to work through um, uh, shot-up student jokes or something. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it doesn't translate to writing because people can just add their own intent to what they think that you were saying or trying to mean by what you're saying.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they take it as a statement instead of as a joke, like some sort of declaration mm-hmm. rather than as part of a comedy bit, which has its own role in society, and that role is performed and should be contained within the context of of the club. But, I mean, as, a, as somebody who's making comedy online that that seems like a, a, a much harder bridge to cross because you're putting out your particular brand of humor for anyone to see right
0: yeah I mean it, comedy online is is a strange thing in itself in that it's hard to tell if you're actually funny or like it, it are things funny in the same way that they're funny whenever you see a stand-up comedian uh, versus when you see a youtuber doing a goofy edit It's I don't think of it as the same type of humor, but you you have to be a lot more clear, I guess, with what you're joking about or the setup to the joke. And yeah, someone could like clip a video down and just pull out one thing and say, look at this, look at this asshole and look what they're joking about. But without like watching the minute before where you're leading up to why this particular thing being said should be funny. Um, I mean, I don't particularly think of myself as really doing comedy. But when you were talking earlier, uh, Matt, I think your question was if I am one of these scapegoats and I feel like I've kind of successfully avoided that for the most part. I mean, uh, you know, Twitter doesn't like me and YouTube doesn't like me, but... Yeah, um, TikTok doesn't like you. Yeah, TikTok doesn't like me, but I mean, these are just, these are the authorities. But I think for the most Mm. part, I mean, it seems like people kind of really enjoy things like the family-friendly news song Uh, whether in, I suppose that's kind of humor in a way because everyone knows roughly what that video is signifying, even though the video says has nothing to do with suicide. It's just the impression of the noose. So I suppose that's the humor in it, but I I don't know. I feel like I've kind of uh, got lucky in that aspect. Like I haven't been canceled. I'm not sure if I can be canceled. I'd have to do something pretty bad. I don't know what that is yet. How close
1: have you come? How, how close have you come to, uh, it, well, you're right that you haven't been canceled. That's why I'm I'm stumbling here to, to think how to describe this. It, has there ever been a point where you thought, ah, maybe it's time to close up shop? How close have you come to that? Mm.
0: I don't think I've ever f- felt that because along with everything that got criticism, it also got a lot of views and a lot of subscribers. And so I was getting mm-hmm. a positive, you know, I was getting a positive result out of it along with the controversy. I mean, I remember when the knife game song was first blowing up, it was going through the, the media circuit and there'd be like local news, like a dangerous new trend. And uh, people <laughs> emailing me, you know, saying that they're saying they're going to sue me or like, oh, I cut my hand off, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it just didn't really catch on like that. And I think people just saw it as like a, a funny gimmick. So I, I don't think I've had anything major that I've put out like a video or a song or something where I was like oh man that was a bad idea and this is going to potentially ruin my quote unquote career
1: people I s- want to ask a specific oh sorry Kevin you, you can go on here I I just want to
2: piggyback because you mentioned because this was a question that I had was <laughs> I wanted to know if people would uh, email you saying that they like cut a finger off because of the the knife uh the knife song but and you said that people did contact you so what were those emails like?
0: It was just people looking for attention. I mean, there's really no way to cut your finger off doing five finger filet, Like you would have to have an incredibly sharp knife and a lot of force behind it. So Mm -hmm. it was just people trying to, I don't know if they were trying to like get me riled up or potentially try to, I don't know, sue me or something, but I think they just wanted attention like, oh, my little brother tried your song and he cut his finger off. He had to go to the hospital. And I'm like, well, I'm not being fooled by that. So did you reply it, to these or, or just ignore them? I just ignored them. It, okay. There's no point. I wanted to ask
1: specifically about the new song. And, and if this is something we have to cut from the edited episode, then, then we can do that. Um, I seem to remember that you got some, some troubling kind of messages about that. Um, like, uh, a mom sent you an email about a daughter, something like this. I, I don't recall the details that well. Uh, how long ago was this? Oh, god a while long enough for me to forget it, but um somebody sang, you know this this song was an inspiration for you know somebody close to me doing very bad things um so is there i, I, mean, I think that things thing. like that come in yeah yeah it's like a supercharged version of you know i cut my finger on the knife game right uh have you ever gotten anything that that you took seriously and thought like ah this is this is real and I, I got to think about this. Uh, um,
0: they, the, the only thing that I can remember where I was like, this is actually something serious that kind of stuck with me was, uh, when the Parkland shooting happened, the guy who did the shooting, Nicholas Cruz, they released a police report of his internet activity leading up to the shooting. And, um, they specifically outlined that he had watched several of my videos on the morning of, of the shooting. And I was That's something where I was like, all right, you know, my songs aren't saying anything like go out and shoot up a school, but it was definitely a strange thing that I was going to, I was in this box at least, or liked by someone who was crazy enough to do something like that. And I'm not really sure why the police report specifically outlined my videos. I mean, my theory was because my thumbnails looked gruesome, so it kind of added to the shock value of anyone reading. They'd say, oh, wow, look at that this person was demented. But uh, in reality, I mean, the videos that he watched were just goofy knife game songs, which I think people like for the most part because they're catchy.
1: Yeah. That's a the, the knife game song, especially we'll pop links to that in the description too, because it's just, it, it's uh, it, like the the classic ditty. I think you'd, you'd actually be able to call that a ditty and not, not have it be weird. It's just so, so catchy. Uh, but, he, uh, yeah, that, that tie to somebody who's done, uh, an unforgivably abysmal thing. It, it's, it's not, it's not real though. I mean, it's not like, uh, you make instructional videos for, um, you know, illegal things.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if, if uh, I did something like that, you know, all right. So even the new song, uh, the original one I had to change mm-hmm. because I, I put it up and it got slightly popular. But at the end of the video, I actually put the noose over my neck and I got that video you know, removed from YouTube and a channel strike and whatnot. So that was why I ended up making the family friendly version because I was like, OK, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to completely avoid any possible uh, mention that a noose could be used for suicide and go out of my way, you know, to to emphasize that. But I still think even then, I mean, people have a, a macabre sense of humor and they like to joke about their own mortality and i think that kind of helps people deal with like i don't know the depressive thoughts so i don't think anyone's watching things like the new song and then getting inspired to kill themselves
1: i mean is, is there we have a whole holiday level of responsibility
2: de- de- deleted to, or dedicated to that it's called halloween Wait,
0: really? oh yeah yeah right exactly <laughs>
1: yeah um is there on any level at all any responsibility for YouTubers or anybody making any kind of art uh, could be a song. I mean, well, look, uh, this is a huge deal with songs uh, like Metallica being blamed Metallica and to a much lesser degree Black Sabbath for the Robin Hood Hills murders. Uh, there were some documentaries uh, Paradise Lost on HBO back mm-hmm. in the 90s uh, and Damien Eccles, who was one of the three uh, teens at the time uh, who was uh, who was convicted there. Uh, and, and is out now, uh, there was like, oh, the, these kids listen to Metallica and do these devil worshiping things. Of course, they murdered these young children, <laughs> you know, like right. a, a, an odd, odd connection where there's no Metallica song, by the way, for the non-connoisseurs, there's no Metallica song that tells you to kill kids. Uh, but is there any responsibility on any level for any artist
0: yeah, I'm, I'm really split on this. What this such happens a big when people question, do something? Especially when yeah. it comes to, like I, all the all the rock songs, like the things like uh, Judas Priest, I think they got blamed for the guy who shot himself in a park and Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. got blamed for Columbine. Yeah. And yeah, if, if their songs are talking about stuff like that, I, I don't like saying they're responsible because for the one person who does the heinous act, there are millions of other people who don't do it. And maybe even find it therapeutic or get their aggression out by listening to the songs and whatnot. And, but sometimes I think about and uh, God, it, I'm, I'm split on it because sometimes I think about like the old uh, like gangster rap music and how much shit NWA got and all these uh, other artists for potentially inspiring, you know, youths to want to sell drugs or live the gang lifestyle. And, you know, their argument was always what well, we're talking about, the life that we that we see on a daily basis and i 100 percent agree with that but also kids are very impressionable and do want to copy you know the the people that they they um idolize and so if you're say nwa and you're making songs about you know uh, uh gang banging someone who you grabbed off the street and uh you know like gang banged in a van which they did have a song about that and or or shooting people or selling drugs or anything like that. Um, if you're not making it clear that that you're acting or that this is not a reality, oh God, I don't know. see, i don't I don't want to be like this type of person where it's it's up to the artist to tell the listener how to interpret their art. Like I, I guess for the most part, i'm I'm almost a free speech absolutist in that aspect where I don't think it's on the artist. It's always on the listener and the person committing the crime. But I, mm-hmm. I do see that people can easily be influenced by the artist and by the art.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, part of the, <laughs> I don't want to go back to this, but it, but it, it is relevant. Uh, part of the, the scapegoat mechanism idea has to do with um, mimetic desire is the, the, the term. And mimetic desire says that essentially I want what he, he has or i want what she has so you see um you see your neighbor it's keeping up with the joneses in a way you see Mm -hmm. your neighbor has a brand new corvette and you're like why don't i have a corvette or something like that and it it talks about how driven human beings are by copying each other i mean it's I, i mentioned in the video it's if you want to think about it in the most simple terms we, the, the, we're so obsessed with copying each other. This is why I speak English. And this is why you speak English. Right. Because our parents spoke English and everybody we know spoke English. That's why I don't speak Polish. I don't know. <laughs> there was nobody to copy when I was growing up to speak Polish. So it is this weird thing where you're right. Um, we do copy each other to, to the point where that can be definitely a bad thing. So uh, I, I do think that there there is uh, look I, I, there's a, there's a, there's a there's a very um, conscious reason why I act the way that I act on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not engage in outrage. I don't engage in almost any negativity at all if you look at my social media and or my youtube videos because i i just feel like there's so much negativity being put into the world that and and it's so so much easier i guess to get attention for that negativity which goes back to what you were talking about earlier that it's almost harder but it's worth it to be a person who's just making hot dog jokes because it's like a palate cleanser when everybody's doom scrolling. And and it just doesn't seem like that many people will go out of their way to avoid tossing their two cents into whatever like horrific end times thing quote unquote is going on every single day, um, and will just be a, a positive force in the universe. <laughs> it
0: seems there's definitely a place like for a rare thing that that there's a vacuum for it, and I think when people see wholesome content. They truly, truly appreciate it on a different level. Like they might be entertained and caught up in controversy and negativity, but that's just like our our instincts, you know, telling us this is the bad guy or this is danger, blah blah blah, because that's more important to know than you know a, a bunny doing a backflip or something. And I guess <laughs> I, w- I was thinking, yeah, I I, I made some videos uh, a few years back where I would kind of just very harshly criticize. Uh, other YouTubers, I always had a reason for it, but I would I'd be mocking them a lot. And later, I was thinking, man, I think that that person is probably like only sixteen or some shit. And uh, I'm just harassing them because I think it's funny. But then other people watching, younger kids watching, yeah, they might also just want to harass them or, or think that that's a, a cool thing to do. Uh, bullying, even though I do think this person deserved it, um, it it's it's something that later on. I was like, I, I don't really want to make content that's too critical of other, other YouTubers and other creators because if it doesn't personally affect me or it, it has nothing, no negative, their actions have no negative consequences on my own life, then it's really not up, up to me to try to tear them down. Um, and that's why I, I have a real problem with a lot of the commentary community because it's, it's just going after people for the sake of going after people and it works. It's the unfortunate thing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. If you do commentary, there's always got to be a topic and Mm -hmm. look, most of the time there's, there's kind of behavior to put on, on display in a video at any given time, because there's just so many people on the platform. But, um, you know, occasionally you see this situation where, you know, kind of all the, all the good topics have been taken for the moment, but you can't go too long without releasing another video on your channel. And you see people choose, uh, choose a real fringe topic in terms of importance and it does put them on the hot seat. And is there a real point to it with some of those? Uh, not really, not really. No.
0: Yeah. Is there a message to be had by making endless videos about, I don't know who's the hot topic now? Is it dream and uh corpse husband or like, I know these guys are constantly trending for something or another. I don't know if people are making videos about them, but it, it does get, it gets tiring too, because I think people see the pettiness of it. It really does come off petty when you see like a hundred people just trying to really pick apart every single thing that another content creator does to, to bl- bring them blame and, uh, and fault. Uh, and really the things that they're doing is, is nothing crazy for just being a human who makes normal mistakes or like say Can- they, they said something in their video or they, they had a tweet that's slightly uh, controversial or whatever. It's like, that's that's normal. Everyone is doing that and it shouldn't be blown up to the extent that it is.
2: Can I ask you more about your theory about the younger generation growing up with the internet having a harder time kind of developing and discerning and analyzing situations and coming up with their own judgments? Is this Is this something that you've thought about a lot? Because I've never... That's never crossed my mind before, and I find it very interesting.
0: Well, yeah, a few years back when I was, probably when the knife game was first blowing up, so this is like seven years ago at this point, um, I remember there was this this mother in Germany who would email me, and she was asking, you know, my kids now are eight. Uh, I don't know how to bring them, how to introduce them to the internet. And what I think is happening now is that since these kids aren't really socializing in the same way that we socialized in human IRL and there's no, they never got exposed to like the real life consequences of, of bullying someone or, um, you know, any, any emotion that comes with having to deal with other kids and growing up and all the mistakes you make. I, I don't think that they actually internalize any of those lessons. And so they really are lacking in, maybe i should think about this more i feel like they're they're lacking in a in the understanding of how they should feel about things or how they should treat other people or how they should react to specific situations because they've never actually had to do it in a realm that they would be real life affected and so they can they learn it from the internet and they see how people act on twitter and they think this is normal and it's really chaotic <laughs> uh so I, I also I'm not even sure if this is true I'm sure there's statistics out there that could prove this wrong but I think uh like autism rates are going up because everyone's all oh, the younger generations growing up on the internet and it's a similar thing they're not being conditioned in a healthy and normal environment that humans were kind of conditioned in for the past whatever 200,000 years yeah, um I I
2: don't, I don't know how that it relates I have no idea how that relates to autism but I but but Matt and I have talked a lot, not on the podcast. I just want to say autism.
0: I, maybe I mean like, like you know, like uh, with with like Aspergers, people have a hard time, you know, understanding emotions or facial expressions or things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering the spectrum
1: broadly. Broadly, the spectrum. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not studied in the the matter.
2: Yeah, no, me either. I have no idea. But but what what I do know, and and Matt and I have talked about a bit, um, just privately it has to do more about yeah social social norms and like being well adjusted versus being maladjusted and that is something that i have noticed a lot where something that should be it's hard to come up with a specific example and i know it's annoying to talk about something without being specific but but it's kind of like what you're alluding to Rusty where it's like something that really shouldn't be a big deal becomes a really big deal because these people have never encountered um things in the real world, before, so all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is how you overreact to <laughs> something that's just literally normal.
0: Well, like cyberbullying, for instance. I, I mean, I now, now the science seems like it's coming out, and it's the way that younger people interact with each other is a lot more important than I think a lot of people gave it credit for. But I remember when cyberbullying was kind of getting popular as a term. You know, the the older generation response was like how is this even a problem? Just turn your computer off, go outside. You know, you can just completely ignore yeah. people on, online who are you know, harassing you or whatever. And I, I don't know if that's because we've already grown out of the stage where acceptance from peers and, and that kind of um, bullying aspect can really shape us. And they're having to figure it out online. And it's so much easier to dogpile in on a cyberbullying campaign whenever it's a faceless entity. But unless you've seen something like that in real life, or you've seen someone get bullied to the the point where they're like they're breaking, you don't really want to do that. You don't want to hurt someone. But if you don't even consider them people because they're just an avatar and a and a username, it's easy to do. And I I think that is maybe an example that that's how a younger generation is being conditioned is not to look at people as people, but to look at them as as just an avatar without really considering that there is a person behind the computer. Mm -hmm. That's
1: absolutely true. That's, that's a major driving force on everything is experiencing reality around it. Um, We've, uh, there have been some, some political things in the last year, you know, on both sides, it's a neutral kind of thing where a bunch of people look at it and, and it's like, oh, this is signaling the end of the world. And I'm thinking, do you remember what kind of utter shit morning some of us had on 911 right That was bad like that was that was really terrible. Uh, there was a kid on my floor in college screaming his head off because his father worked in the World Trade Center and all the phones were jammed. none of us had cell phone well one or two of us had cell phones. It just wasn't, it was before that era where everybody had one. And so all these landlines were trying to call New York and it just overloaded the system. So everybody was in the dark. And, uh, uh I had so many friends from, uh, Queens, especially whose parents worked in Manhattan and the information sucked and, oh boy, that was a really bad day for, for you, you people who were born after 2001. Let me tell you, it was shit. It was really awful.
0: Right, right.
1: The dumb things that have happened in the last year. Like, look, uh, you know, a Walmart getting burned down and looted or something like that is a very bad thing. But it's not 9-11. Uh, this, this is not the end of society as we know it. Uh, we'll be able to sort this one out. But you have to have that perspective. And I understand why they don't have that perspective. Things have been relatively good for a while. Um you know, Kevin and I had, had uh, friends who went into the military shortly, like months, months before 9-11 happened. And all of a sudden we had friends who were deploying to war. Well, as shitty as things have been in the last like four or five years or 10 years or whatever, um, you know, that hasn't happened a lot.
0: <laughs> like, right. Well, when you it just has, when you have everyone from all directions telling you that it's the end of the world. It takes a strong constitution to, I don't know, not to fall into that trap and actually start believing it because the second some people start believing it, some people in your community, your peers and whatnot, they start saying, wow, this is really bad. This is the end of the world. You can't really be the person that's like, no, everything's fine. You know, I mean, this is all cool because then you're a part of the problem because you're ignoring the problem and they they have like rules that force you to have to agree that this is the end of the world, that this is the enemy, that uh, all these situations are a lot more dramatic than they are. I mean, even I don't want to talk about like, well, I don't know about current events or whatever, but like uh, the, the Capitol riots, uh, they were comparing yeah. that to nine eleven, And I was like, I, yeah. I don't see that at all. I have no idea what, what they're talking about. But I know people who would. I'll tell you, n-
1: not the same thing. Yeah,
0: yeah
3: they're, like, they're two different ballparks.
1: <laughs> a completely and wholly different experience. <laughs> right,
0: right. So I I, uh, I I, don't know if it plays into as well some sort of like the the victimhood um, awards that you get. You know, you get credit for being a victim. and So if you don't feel like it's the end of the world and you're not really bothered by what's going on, that definitely sets you aside from everyone else The the whether they're the vocal loud minority or if it's growing larger than that and a majority of the people think that you know the country is going to hell quickly which it might be uh i'm, I'm not going to yeah, say that possible. it isn't but i don't know i think people really need to to just turn the internet off and go outside and talk to people in their community and go to a grocery store Well, maybe not right now, but, you know, I'm not telling everyone to (laughs) go out during a fucking pandemic, (laughs) but go outside and talk to people. Yeah,
2: that was a point that I I had brought up on an earlier podcast where it's like you go on, uh, you have a family reunion and you talk to, you know, your uncle and you just talk about the, the, the sports. You just talk about, hey, how are the Jets doing or whatever? Oh, yeah. Oh, how's work? Okay, that's good. And but but meanwhile, like conversely, you go on Facebook and and your uncle, your aunt or whoever it is, all they're doing is just ripping on like Monsanto is poisoning (laughs) the earth. You know, like whatever cause, whatever cause is their cause that they have to like wave the flag for, carry the banner for. um, It's like they are this, um, you know, ideologically possessed zombie almost online rather than being. You know your uncle Dave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How is weird! Is that? using Facebook. You know, I've been I've been clean for uh, God, uh, probably fifteen months, give or take. I don't want to say it's eighteen. Oh wow! But you know, well over a year. Yeah, I mean, I've I, I check in on a couple people. I use Facebook Messenger to talk to a couple friends because that's just the only way I can talk right, to them. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't use the site anymore. And it's it's because of what both of you are saying, that all of these people were just not who I knew. I I knew them from going to school with them and watching their careers develop over 20 years. And, you know, of course, the family side, you know, family's family. And you see uh, all of their stuff all the time, you know. And then I I, I just see somebody who is going bonkers about something that...
0: You know, oh, it's crazy! I, I it's so care. unhealthy and crazy. Because sometimes you'll you'll see how people are acting on Facebook, and they'll they'll be so vicious. And you can see the same person in real life, like uh, the next day, and they're not that person. They're a lot more cordial and understanding because they can actually talk to you and have a conversation and hear their, your tone of voice and experience where you're coming from. And it's not just trying to be right or get, get a lot of likes. And what I think it is and why people act that way on Facebook and Twitter is just because you get likes and that, that gives you the serotonin. So what gets you more likes is saying either the thing that a majority of people in your Facebook circle are going to agree with, like by attacking whoever the person you're supposed to attack that day is or saying whatever, you know, virtue signaling, like how, how brave everyone is on Facebook. Uh, I am against Nazis, you get 40 likes. I was like, no shit you are, but that's what you have to do. So I I think that system, the liking system, is kind of what pushes them to talk so extreme online.
2: I thought of an example of, uh, that I hope is more or less innocuous, of uh, what you were talking about earlier, Rusty, of um, people just forgetting about an enemy, and that's GMOs. Do you guys remember... How insane people were over GMOs, <laughs> yeah, like genetically modified foods. Yeah. It was, it was, it was enemy number one on social media about five years ago, maybe. I don't know. I, I think
1: it was more like twenty twelve ish. Yeah, I remember it I being a it was, was it that egg. long ago?
2: That. Right. Yeah, Ugh. I think I'm worse at history than you. Than it's you because are because you man.
1: eat genetically modified <laughs> foods. And I your know. Brain is turning to mush. That golden rice wiped out my. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it all memory, ties back to monsanto <laughs>
2: <laughs> but man it was non-stop that was it it was gmos are are going to be the end of the world i do not remember the last time i saw anybody mm-hmm. even mention the letters gm or o
0: well, that yeah in that, in that wow.
2: succession it's just we're done with that we that i thought that was the end yeah. of the world guys
1: what happened
0: are people still protesting bp or have they completely forgotten about that as well? I mean, I think they rebranded it. I haven't heard bit. a whole lot about,
1: yeah, I haven't heard anything where, uh, you know, o- oil and energy are like the number one threat. Uh, I mean, I understand that that there have been some pressing topics in the last year that have overshadowed it. but even before even before 2020, it, it had waned completely, and it's a very strange thing when, like, like Kevin says, this is the foundational threat to humanity. And we have to pay attention to this right now until uh, a year later. And, you know, it's like, what happened to that? It's like all the people playing Farmville and then all of a sudden nobody plays Farmville anymore. Right. You know, it's the same kind of like, like this is everywhere. And then all of a sudden nobody does it. Right. It's apocalyptic
2: Farmville.
0: (laughs) And what sucks is when you, when you remember that, when you remember how riled up everyone was, and then it seems like they don't remember it, it it makes you feel like you're insane sometimes like how how am i remembering i mean not to to be political but like how am i remembering the the russian collusion in the election and all those conspiracy theories and then now everyone just forgets about it that there's you know now that uh they're trying to say there's conspiracy theories about meddling in this election and it, yeah. it's like the, the same people saying You know, that that, that's a fringe conspiracy theory. It's dangerous, blah, blah, blah. They're the same people that were agreeing with a Russian collusion, you know, four years ago. And I don't really know what's true or what's not in that aspect. But I just know that it's very disingenuous that how quickly people choose to forget what they were diehard about just four years ago because it's convenient, I suppose. I think convenience is a big cause of all of this.
1: Right. Uh, and there's no accountability for it. Either. Right. Um, especially, especially on social media, because if you're remotely active, uh, anything, anything you say is pushed down the timeline pretty quickly. And it's got to, you know, you really have to work on an issue for it to stick around on, on your profile for any length of time. So there's no, there's no real accountability. And, and I, and I've seen lots of situations where, uh, Somebody, you know, pulls the the uh, the comment cop kind of thing and screenshots a post from a year ago oh, yeah. where the person is saying something completely contradictory. Well, then the target of that, you know, gets annoyed and blocks them. Uh, so they never really have to face the consequences for any of it. They don't have any incentive to be uh, logically or factually consistent. Uh, it's it's a system that rewards. Pretty much everything we don't want to happen.
0: I went back and I, I took some screenshots. This was before the BLM uh, protests uh, slash riots or whatever that were going on. And right after the, uh, the anti-lockdown protests that were going on before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took some screenshots uh, that friends had posted and they were saying things like, you know, uh, I hope all these protesters die for risking everyone's life during a pandemic. But they didn't really specify, and then I would I would show other friends later after the Black Lives Matter ones and say, "What do you think they meant by this?" Because now they're in full support of protest, and it's like, do they actually support the protest, or are they just so ideologically driven that their principles flip on a dime in order to in order to agree with another one of their principles, if that makes sense?
1: How do you change that? How can anything be done to improve that?
0: I I don't know. I mean, it, it's a maybe taking away likes is actually a good thing. Maybe people wouldn't agree. You know, if you, if you see a YouTube video and it has very, very, very low likes versus dislikes, you probably are going into that video thinking it's going to be bad. And I think if, if you take away the liking system, say on Facebook, this is just me. I'm working this out in my head. If you take away the liking system and people aren't rewarded for saying specific things, Then they might speak more honestly, um, or maybe not. But I don't know. I mean, people just need to be a lot more more honest about what they're saying and what the opinions they're sharing. And you know, you can't call them out on their lies, or else you're really kind of wasting time, especially on Facebook. If you're spending a lot of time getting in arguments, it's not really productive. So yeah, how do you change their mind, or how do you bring both sides closer together? I suppose that's the question everyone's asking because it's. Probably the most the uh, the most split I've seen in my life, like ideologically split.
2: I think. Do taking think of ab- taking oh, likes away is on, an interesting me. idea? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think I don't we've know ever if talked about that on this podcast before, but it's it definitely. because uh, yeah, the other thing that at like a, a top level, we 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 all have to realize is how new all of this is. Right, this is all brand new. It's 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 not even in its infancy. This is all like embryonic. So. If it if it turns out that having likes on all of this social media is making us want to be at each other's throats, then perhaps we will figure out that we should take that away and things will, you know, calm down a bit. That's totally possible and I think on the table. It should at least be considered. For
0: sure, for sure. Like I mean the thing is we all like likes. I mean, I don't think anyone doesn't like tweeting something and getting a lot of retweets and, and likes, but Is that actually good for us or is it like heroin? You know, people probably like heroin whenever they do heroin, Mm -hmm. but it's bad for you in the end. So I don't know. I mean, I I haven't really thought about it too much before, but it might actually make sense to take away likes on certain systems like uh, Facebook and Twitter. I, I feel like you probably need it on YouTube just as a general gauge of whether or not you're about to, you know, waste five minutes on something that. It, that leads to, to no, um, positive ending or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to plug a video by a friend of the create unknown, uh, Sean Malone, who, who was a guest quite some time ago, and we'll probably have him back real soon. Uh, he, he did a two part, a two part video series on the social dilemma, uh, a documentary about really about all of the stuff we're talking about and he titled it the social dilemma is dangerously wrong and it's a each video is about 30 minutes it's very very good on the out of frame channel uh and there is truth that uh uh, dopamine receptors go you know ding ding when certain things happen (laughs) on social media (laughs) and that affects our behavior uh but um it's it's more nuanced than a lot of the the scary uh, things like the parents groups and teachers unions and stuff, uh, tend to say that it's going to just melt your brain. I mean, I know so many people who use social media profitably. And I I don't mean that literally with money. I mean, in a way that improves their lives, Uh, it makes their work better. Uh, They get a better understanding of things. They have international networks of people. Uh, We have like right now in the episode chat, we have, uh, we have Glink, uh, and Slush as well, who, uh, you know, Glink uh, is uh, Armenian and just put out a video about his kind of his, his identity. It's very good. You should check that out. Um, but, you know, some problems in Armenia of late, and uh, it's really easy to follow along and empathize with certain people and understand what their lives are like as they're going through an extremely difficult time this is great this is amazing to be able to do that uh, it, that overshadows to me any uh, uh kind of any negative of the, of the willful misuse of somebody sitting there and spending four hours freaking out about about politics because it it you know jingles the the right part of their their brain wiring
0: Now you say that it's, uh, it's, it overshadows it, but are the, the positive benefits are the people who are utilizing social media in a beneficial and positive way? Are there more of them than the people who are using it and receiving a negative effect or like, I
1: don't know. I feel the same way about that as I feel about fast food. Uh, like I, I, I'm I'm a responsible Burger King user. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I, I love 10 nuggets for $1.49, the spicy ones. Like this is one of the best values ever. And I know that in the past, uh, we, we talked about (laughs) the, the, uh, calories per dollar and a McDonald's, uh, double cheeseburger on the dollar menu being like the peak contribution to humanity in terms of food. I really believe this. I'm not, uh, I'm not in terrible health. I use these places responsibly. The fact that a whole lot of other people don't can't be my problem. It just isn't my problem. And if 80% of people are, uh, misusing fast food and destroying their health, then that's on, that's on them. That's on them. And I'm really not going to change anything that I do, uh, to, to cater to, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it's like some weakness. Some people are truly weak in terms of social media and, are drawn in I agree I think majority of these people behaviors are. what percentage do you think like you really think it's it's that high like majority level
0: i I would like uh well see I, I think that there's two tiers I think there are the people who are very very susceptible and they're the ones that want to be accepted by the majority and so they kind of you know silence themselves or they don't really go out of their they don't stick their necks out online um i I mean, I was just a guess, I'd say like 75% of people are, or they'll just, you know, read, just read the headlines, not read the article, because it doesn't really matter what's in the article. It just matters what it says and what message that sends you. And in the sense of, of food, yeah, you know, everyone's uh, in charge of their own dietary restrictions. But when you have something like how social media can heavily influence politics or social reform, then it can be very dangerous. And, you know, hasn't Facebook been responsible for genocides just on building mass hysteria over over uh, Facebook? Yeah. Yeah.
2: There are, are, are also unseen costs, societal costs, that do affect all of us when it comes to, you know, those people who take advantage of things. I mean, the e- even when it comes to things like Burger King, you know, like, like the health costs. That we um, have to pay. But, you know, yeah, it goes back to smoking and everything. But I agree with you, Rusty, that the, if, if if the foundational way that we're interacting with each other is on these social media platforms, then to me that it, it makes it a lot more important that we get it right. And I don't know what that means. I think there's but, still
0: time to, to pull it back. I mean, like you were saying, the Internet's very new and it's going in wild directions. It changes every like two to five years, it seems like it's completely different than it was before. And so, yeah, we might, we're still in the learning period on how we have to learn to interact with each other. Who knows, the next generation might uh, be a lot more comfortable being more honest and not being fearful of saying the wrong thing online. And if that becomes a comfortable norm, then you're kind of sinking back into a more healthy form of communication.
2: Ugh, I don't see how, I don't see how it gets better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Without, I'm being like optimistic. radical changes. It just seems <laughs> like it's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd like to think it's just going to be so ingrained in society. Uh, there, I said society for everyone in the chat, but it's so ingrained in society that, um, that it's not going to be like getting canceled is going to just kind of become numb and it's not going to be a career ending or, or like life ending for some people it's just going to be like oh i got canceled today or uh whatever like uh, someone dug up uh, some old tweets of mine you're going to be able to do that with everyone and i mean essentially you already can but i feel like it's going to lose power the more it becomes just ingrained in our culture
2: like the novelty of it will wear off. Yeah. I
0: think that's interesting. Yeah, so that's what I mean by like when it's it's so new right now that there still is novelty to canceling people and to deplatforming people, but at a certain point it's just gonna seem so ridiculous. I hope. <laughs> yeah.
2: When everyone's canceled, nobody is canceled.
0: Right, right. So I'm that's <laughs> what my, my hope is that everyone gets deplatformed and canceled. <laughs>
2: Now that is utopia. Yeah. Truly true we utopia. can all <laughs> wish for that. Um, I know we have a ton of questions before we get into the questions though. I really want to ask you about your comic. Cause we literally haven't even talked about your comic yet. So, um, you know, Requiem for the uh, Requiem of the Crazies. I have the first two. I have, I'm eagerly awaiting uh, number three. I just wanted to ask in like a very, you know, high level, uh, high level, uh, way like what made you start doing comics what made you start doing this comic like what is what was the genesis of Requiem of the Crazies
0: I think when I was younger art was probably the first kind of creative outlet that I uh, got into like uh, drawing and whatnot and I always loved comic books growing up but uh, I I wanted to make comics when I was younger and I kind of made some but they weren't very good And then as I got older, I just slipped into doing music. And then that kind of took off on YouTube. So that really just took over, you know, majority of my time and energy. But finally, uh, you know, YouTube has been a blessing and it's allowed me to, you know, work for myself and move on to other ventures. And so I wanted to go back to comic books and give it another shot because it's a it's a different form of writing like it's it's long form writing and and that's something that's kind of been lacking in my creative outlet, like rather than just writing songs or something which are f- just a few minutes long. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it it's definitely ambitious because I don't really have too much experience making comics, but I am very passionate about it. Like it's something that i I want to finish this project and I want to end it and make the full thing just the best I can. Um, I don't know. I I guess I get, I get bored if I'm just doing the same thing. Like, I don't know how these musicians are are still touring, like still playing the same songs for 40 years, like the Rolling Stones or something. Like you'd think that you just want to do something else eventually. And for me, comic books is what it is right now, or at least this series. I'm not sure if I'll be as motivated to continue uh, making graphic novels or comics after I'm done with it, but we'll see. (laughs)
2: Now, I think about that a lot. I'm glad that you brought that up. Of of like, yeah, bands just playing the same song for like the nine thousandth time. I mean, I guess, I guess a lot of them are getting paid very well to do it, but not all of them are. Even well, making the that idea. money.
0: Like, I mean, when they, how much more money do they need when you're seventy-five? Right.
2: Yeah, like the Stones, like like Mick Jagger. You still can't get no satisfaction, dude.
0: Well, they probably <laughs> we have really have everything. They, they probably really like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, doing cocaine and having sex with uh, young groupies. <laughs> but also, the passion for music, I'm sure, is is still, you know, a burning fire in their core.
2: Playing that song for 60 years, though. Man. Right,
0: right. Good
2: Lord. Oh, and they have crazy. it so
0: perfect. You know, there, there's not a single note that's off, there's no twisting it up or different versions of it. It's just mechanical. It, it seems like that would be like going to work at that point.
2: Yeah, they're not the Grateful Dead like jamming out on <laughs> right, right <laughs> on uh, whatever. Um, I, but yeah, the money thing too, I always wonder about as well. Uh, especially like as a creative person, I feel like as, as long as the bills are paid and like I can afford food, that seems like enough. But it, it is odd to me, creative people like you know the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen or whatever. I mean, I guess if they have. Insane ambitions outside of music, where they're going to fund their own like newspaper or something. Mm-hmm. I-, I have no idea. Their own social media app, and they need four hundred million dollars. Yeah, then more power to them. But for but they're not doing that. So what are they doing? Like what what does Bruce Springsteen do with his like nine hundred million dollars from touring his whole? Well, life? that might it's be weird to that me. That might
0: be an aspect of human nature. Just to never feel like you're done or you never have enough. I remember when Howard Stern sold or what what did he do? Whenever he moved uh, to Sirius or whatever, and he got I forget how much it was at the time, like five hundred million dollars or something. It, it, a lot of his employees were complaining, you know, that they're not really getting paid anything at all. And I remember him saying something along the lines of like, well, you know, I still have to pay for you know my kids' college and whatnot. And I'm like, well, you have five hundred million dollars, yeah. you can pay for everyone's college. <laughs> You'll be fine. Yeah.
2: Your uh, kid going to college on, on the moon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or is he going what, to college? Um, uh, Kevin, who is the basketball player who choked uh, PJ Carlissimo? Latrell Sprewell. Latrell Sprewell. Yeah. He, he had a thing where I remember him saying on a contract that, uh, that he needed to feed his yeah, family. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Latrell Sprewell was making at that point, like probably 8 million a year.
0: It's like if you're talking, that doesn't make any sense to, I mean, it makes sense to a normal person. They go, okay, yeah, feed your family, put your kids in college. Sure, but you do not need that much money. I'm not going to say they don't need it because, yeah, they could be doing anything with it. But at a certain point, how do you possibly even spend all that money? You'd have to be like Elon Musk or something where you're putting it right back into very, very expensive (laughs) other ventures.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're building rockets. (laughs) Yeah. That's what you're doing with (laughs) it. yeah, so maybe the stones were right, and you just we, we can't get no satisfaction. You, you can't
0: get no satisfaction. They figured it out, and now they're living in their own hell,
2: <laughs> <laughs> R- wrinkly, wrinkly hell. <laughs> um,
1: Matt, do you want to start doing uh, questions? I do, I do. Um, and one of the reasons we we talked about non like a, a lot about kind of general issues and non specific. Uh, things that you've done uh, is because the questions are really heavy on some of your specific things. And when, so we wanted to give uh, everybody in the episode chat now a chance at kind of, kind of poking and prodding uh, about all things, all things cage. Um, uh, First one here is, is from slush, uh, which we had a great episode with, slush and glink and check out his channel um what's what's an album you really love
0: uh bone machine by tom waits is definitely up there um it, this was a very experimental album if you're familiar with tom waits he's an experimental person who's kind of transitioned into a lot of different genres of music but but bone machine was it was like post-apocalyptic themed and it's just a really dirty uh, sounding album. They recorded it in like a, a stone cellar of the studio next to a water heater just because it had grimy reverb. And <laughs> it, overall, the the mood of the album, it, it makes you just feel like you're by a burning truck in some Mad Max world, and there's blind, crazy people dancing to some, some prophet's a prayer for death. And I don't know, that that's a great album to definitely listen to that. Another one, I guess I, I really like uh, Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. I got into that. I got into Nine Inch Nails when I was 24, which is a little bit late, but a uh, big...
1: I was kind of late in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Big,
0: big fan of um, Downward Spiral, their first, or their second album, I think.
2: That's kind of awesome, though. There are some bands that are like obvious bands that you should have listened to when you were 14. Right. That, uh, you know... It's kind of a fun thing where you're like, wow, I'm 33 and just starting to listen to whatever. I don't know. But for one second, I this is a non sequitur, but it popped in my brain. Matt, the fact that you remembered the name PJ Carlissimo, but you forgot Latrell Sprewell re- is very funny. I couldn't to remember Spreewell.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird that I I could picture Carlissimo uh, <laughs> being like a kind of s- skinny weird loser complaining about getting choked, but I couldn't, it, and I knew uh, Spreewell's cornrows, you know, cause he was so famous for wearing cornrows at <laughs> yeah. that time, but I could not come up with his name. Yeah, no, it's just funny the way that the human
2: mind works and the way that memory works, like. To remember P.J. Carlissimo, but not Latrell Sprewell is so funny to me
3: because <laughs> it's like nine,
2: 99 out of 100 people are not coming up with P.J. Carlissimo. They're, they're saying, no, that's really who a, is the coach yeah. that Latrell Sprewell choked?
0: These all sound like made
2: up it's names. It's so
1: much more obscure. <laughs> it's so much more obscure, though. Like If somebody said, oh, who who is the guy that, that Monica Lewinsky got in trouble with? You know, you'd think it was insane, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but Monica Lewinsky was a household name, PJ Curlissimo. I don't even know if he worked after, after the Timberwolves. Um, <laughs> I guess he's a broadcaster on CSN New England now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so, oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Uh, this is from uh, The Grinning Reaper, who, thank you for becoming a patron today. This is one of the better decisions in your life uh, wants to know Rusty what your cat's name is uh, because the big rock candy Mountain video
0: was really cute oh uh my cat's name is Carter it's a female cat I didn't name her um, my old roommates were huge fans of little Wayne the Carter's the Carter three album so they named their cat mm-hmm. Carter and then we got evicted from the house and they left the cat behind with its five brand new kittens oh. and so i had to uh adopt them about 10 years 11 years ago oh yeah
1: yeah you you kind of you kind of have to man up and take it, responsibility It was either in that, that scenario, or put them you. in a
0: bag and throw them in a river and hope that they washed ashore oh, and bad. met up with Tom and Jerry later
1: Yeah yeah the odds against that uh would have been yeah. long yeah definitely Um it, grinning reaper had another another question that, that I think is good i i really like asking people who do a thing about the things they like in that thing. So, uh, Reaper asks what your favorite song, uh, what's the favorite song that you made?
0: Um, probably we're the gang stalkers. It was on my last album. I think it's the, it's either the last song or the first song I forget, but it was the last song that I wrote for the album. It's always like the ones that I don't take a lot of time to, to write and record that I ended up liking the most. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was like, oh shit, I just need like a filler track. So I thought of it on the bus on, you know, just riding the bus home and recorded it. And it seemed to have a, a pretty large impact. If you're familiar with gang stalking, um, where, you know, people think that the, uh, government agents are following them around and spying on them. In one instance, um, it, it got a lot of feedback from the gang stalking community because in the song itself I'm playing the role of someone who is one of these government agents and just talking about how we like to go around and harass people and uh you know like uh kill them and erase any records of their existence playing into their fears oh shit kind of going back to what we were talking about with like uh, bands being responsible for the actions of their mm-hmm. audience that might be something where i could say if someone did something crazy after listening to that song because it like triggered their paranoia, it'd probably be my fault.
1: Yeah, you think it's most likely to to uh, make something like that happen out of out of any of your stuff?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get a lot of emails from from people who are like paranoid schizophrenics, and they write long, crazy emails, and it's usually gang stalking related. Uh, I was thinking about making a song at some point where I just find one real person. Say in just some other state like Kentucky, some guy named uh, Josh Gaddens, and I, I look into his life on Facebook, and I figure out his interests, and then I write a song specifically about him, and then <laughs> and then tell you know maybe maybe tell him to do something, not like uh, not like shoot up a school or anything, oh, but no. if if you could find a crazy person, they would all of their paranoia would be justified, and if anyone listened to their pleas they would probably agree with them. It would kind of drive several people crazy because they say, holy shit, this song is about you. Why did this person make a song specifically about you? And you're just a random person. (laughs) What if
2: it was really benevolent, like donate to a food bank?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah. Right. I I could use, use this idea and do something positive with it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so in 2021, later in the year, we can, uh, we can expect the bob jenkins please
0: cure cancer song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if he doesn't do it Don't. then you know a lot of people are going to have an issue with bob jenkins. <laughs>
2: bob Jenkins <laughs> open a soup kitchen.
0: <laughs> well, Shit i have to. I, mean, I
3: am Bob Jenkins.
0: <laughs> I got I
1: got to learn how to make a lot of soup
0: really quickly.
1: Uh there's a, another, another song question here that I really love this. This is from uh, Speen. He's uh, one of our resident uh, musicians and producers. He asks, what would your set list be if you were given a 30-minute music set? And I love this because you've done some very good covers. You posted a bunch back in the day. And yes, your songs are great. That's awesome. But you capably bang on uh, a whole lot of classics, too. And so I, I wonder if this set is going to be a mix of uh, originals and covers.
0: Yeah, it, it would have to be. And the, the thing about like playing a set, especially with a lot of the music that I make, it's, uh, it's a lot of instruments compounded over each other and layered. So some of them are very difficult to play and I, I can't even actually even perform them because uh, I can only do one thing at a time, like sing or play whatever strange bass riff. Hmm. So it had to yeah. be probably more... Acoustic guitar-based. Um, I don't know. I would do... like. Should I name specific songs? Or is anyone going to even know this?
1: Yeah, throw a few out.
0: Uh, songs like uh, Adipa Sear, um, We're the Gang Stalkers. Probably, yeah, more guitar-based songs. Um, the Final Voyage of the Whalers' Essex. And, and yeah, definitely a lot of old cover songs. Probably some more obscure ones, if I could find them. I, I don't really... I I try not to do covers that are overdone. I mean, I really don't do that many cover songs these days, but just songs that are always stuck in my head. Um, brother, can you spare a dime? And, um, if I could learn Spanish, I would, I would learn a version of Malagueña Salarosa. Um, and I'm not really sure how, how to fill a 30 minute spot, but that's about like five, six songs, 30 minutes, a long time. Yeah. um, It'd be cool to get a band and then do something like a a heavier song or like one of the hip hop ones, like um, uh, "The Lives of Flies." I think that would be a crowd pleaser. But
1: and you haven't you haven't gone the band route, have you?
0: I played in a few bands, but I I played keyboards, so I was in the back. um, Yeah, no one really cared about me. If I if I messed up, it didn't really matter too much. Uh Uh, Something about like I I have terrible stage fright, so being a singer would terrify me because you can mess up a lick on a guitar and get away with it. But it's, it's hard to oh, mess up a word totally. if you have like a very vocal based <laughs> song, because people know that, that that's not how you say that word or you forget the the line. And then you have to repeat yourself. You have to really think on your toes like that or be comfortable with it. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like that would, I feel like I would mess up a lot if I was playing live. That's kind of why I avoid it. And also it's such a pain in the ass having to practice and, lug equipment around and deal with booking and whatnot. It's not really fun in my opinion.
1: Logistics are logistics are a full time job on that kind of thing. Absolutely.
2: That's why I stopped pursuing music is literally that reason. Is Yeah, yeah. Like the idea of doing open mics and then eventually getting gigs and yeah. Like having having the band and you gotta get a van and you gotta lug all your amps around (laughs) and stuff. Like It's exhausting. I'm very tired. I'm a very tired person and uh, I just don't have the energy for that. It's amazing. I think you almost have to be, you have to have at least one manic person, I think, in a band. Oh, absolutely.
0: No, there there has to be (laughs) a band leader. Who will
2: do all of that stuff. You could have the other people be depressive or like one person be depressive, but... Maybe the rest of the band has to be manic, but it's so much work.
0: Yeah. So much energy. It has to be the drummer. Like someone has to call the shots because especially if you have say five people, six people in a band or whatever, everyone can't just do whatever they want. They can't go off in their own direction or else you have just a really messy composition of a song. So someone or like a team of people, maybe two people, they have to say this goes, this does not and make the final decision and do the booking because and that was what was good about being a keyboard player. I wasn't really an important member in the band in the sense that if if keyboard wasn't in a lot of these songs, they could figure out how to fill in that spot with another guitar riff. And uh, I, I like that lack of responsibility. But at the same time, man, just going to practice and all the bickering, or all the bickering that goes on, and it, it's such a slow process that I was like, man, I should just go home and record my own songs. It'd be a lot more fun.
2: Yeah. You cannot have a depressed drummer because lugging your drum kit around and setting it up and breaking it down, that's the most annoying thing. It's like uh, like Johnny the depressed drummer would almost be a
0: really funny character. Just constantly <laughs> <It> probably- <laughs> shows over, time to tear your set down and put it all it's back in your bad. van. just fails yeah can you imagine the guy from Def
1: Leppard did it with one arm what are you complaining about
0: oh he he had a roadie though that
1: must be the most positive person on the planet the Def Leppard guy he had one
0: arm and he (laughs) still
1: still drummed by the time by the time he was in uh, that accident I think his his career was somewhat advanced so he wouldn't have been entirely dependent on lugging his well you know what he said he said I'd (laughs) give my left arm to,
0: to play guitar (laughs) <laughs>
2: you're right Def Luppert definitely had roadies by then that's important can you imagine yeah, playing the roadies. double
0: bass like picking that instrument in your youth and then you have this giant double bass that doesn't fit in anything like that's just that would be hell why didn't I why didn't I pick the violin yeah. I remember
1: this in school when when people had to take their instruments on the bus and walk them between the schools to practice and things like that. You know, in in like you always look at uh, I I don't know why, but it was it was almost all girls who played flute and clarinet, and you look at them, and they throw a flute in in like the smallest pocket of their backpack and skip right. away, and then. You know, some boner in the back has a tenor sax that's like three times bigger yeah, than Yeah, you him. have
0: to completely disassemble it. It takes fifteen minutes. <laughs> Someone's playing the contra like, <laughs> bass like giant tuba. The elbow. <laughs>
3: mm. Mm.
1: Uh let's let's go on. I'm trying to order these here. Um here's a quickie from the Kino Corner who uh I believe is an IRL friend of yours. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know him. Yeah. I know Kino.
1: Yeah. Kino is amazing. He is real quick. Whiskey of choice. A Buffalo trace. Yeah. Why is that?
0: Oh, I, it doesn't make me sick and I think it tastes pretty good. Like I can drink it straight without feeling disgust. And what does make you sick? uh, Like I want the Evan Williams. This could all be in my head, Uh but I feel like when I drink Evan Williams, I, I have to puke. By the end of the night or the next morning, I don't really know how any of this shit works. Like really, there might not be too, too great of differences between them. It could all be in my head, but that's just Mm -hmm. whatever my first experience with, uh, the liquors are is usually what ends up lingering throughout Uh, the years. That's fair. Kevin, wasn't there a whiskey
1: that you, that you really liked a couple of years ago? That was your staple. I remember you telling me about being able to get it all of a sudden.
2: Um, I've switched it up a lot. Yeah. Oh, you have. Yeah, yeah. I've switched it up up a lot. So, um, you, you. I don't know. There's, there's. And when it comes to bourbon, I can't think of any bourbon I've ever had where I was like, I really think this is disgusting. What you're talking about, Rusty, I have with entire categories of mm-hmm. liquor, like, um, like vodka. Like I know that for most people, vodka is 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 like the most flavorless, generic, like easy to drink right <laughs> a liquor i can't because when i was uh i don't know pretty young <laughs> when i was pretty young i drank a lot of vodka and i and i blacked out and i threw up all over the place um, oh yeah so well, i never was able to drink vodka ever again when i think of vodka so I, I, I really I think of
0: those those liters of skull that i would just get in high school just like the cheapest ten dollar giant plastic bottle of vodka and uh yeah, I, I, I it take me a while to come back around to vodka, but I mean, uh, I'm not a snob. I'll drink anything besides like a uh, horse cum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose anything can be fermented, <laughs> right? Exactly. Right? <laughs> 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 um, this is from 11 We, we talked about this a little bit, but this is a distinctly different kind of question. Do you have any regrets about any of the videos that you've posted?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of regrets on older videos that just really weren't funny or they make me cringe. Most of them I've unlisted or deleted. Um, there's always things in every video that I would do different that just watching back on. I feel like it, it, the mood wasn't the the mood I was trying to create wasn't really executed properly or I don't know. I, I try not to look back on too many of my old videos and just kind of take them for what they were and try to learn from them and what you can do differently. But yeah, there's, there's definitely like some, some corny comedy skits that I tried to do four years ago, five years ago. And I have no idea why I made it. I think I was bored and I just wanted to put out a quick video where I was trying to tap into like the comedy genre. And I I realized pretty quickly that I'm not much of a comedian.
1: Knife Game was 2013. When did you, when did you start uploading again?
0: Uh, I started uploading in 2008, I think it was right out of high school. Yeah, no, early on. So YouTube was still new and I was just using it as an outlet to upload cover songs because I didn't really know where to put them and I didn't want to attach my name to it or my face to it. So I just wanted to throw it out into the void where no one would know who I am and see how they were received. And, um, I, I think I deleted my old channel. So I have a new one now that the one I'm using now is I started in 2009, so it's been a while. Okay. I didn't really use YouTube though as like pursuing a job or or anything for like four four years, four or five years. I think it was like 2014 that I actually started trying to take it somewhat seriously.
1: And 11C's uh, tacked another one onto that. Um, do you, do you care about the people who? who dislike your humor? I mean, we, we talked about that earlier too, but does on any level, does it kind of get to you when you're criticized?
0: Uh, only, not online. Online, it doesn't bother me at all because you can just kind of weigh the pros and cons. And if there's a lot more support than, you know, criticism, it doesn't bother me. Also, uh, I just don't read comments or anything like that. But in real life, yeah, uh, things like, people don't know the character. I'm not really that I'm playing a character, but people don't understand like the the world of which i'm releasing these videos and so it can come off really crude to someone who's not familiar with my channel if they for the first time see you know the the new song and they're um they just think that i'm just mocking suicide or whatever which i guess i am but uh you know not with like the ill intent that they might think if they're familiar with my other videos then it kind of it doesn't seem so crazy or out of place
2: is this friends or family or what?
0: Family doesn't really seem they don't really care cuz they know me and I've always had like a dark sense of humor but yeah like uh if if my IRL community or peers were to go through my Twitter and like read everything I tweeted they would probably think I'm a fucking monster just cuz they wouldn't they wouldn't <laughs> understand you know necessarily what I'm trying to do but I don't I don't know I'm not really sure how to explain it but it's it's, it's harder to explain to them the the context of what I'm doing, I suppose, unless they're already very familiar with it. And most of them do not care at all about what I do online.
2: No, I think I think that makes a lot of sense because I tried once, and I'll never try this again, to do one of my Twitter jokes on Facebook. Oh, okay. And that was received really weirdly <laughs> because uh, I don't on, I, I don't use Facebook. The only people I have on Facebook are friends and family. Mm-hmm. So I don't have like a public-facing Facebook or anything. And um, I, I wish I could remember what joke it was. It was something about apples. And uh, all of the replies were v- taking it very literally. And it was obviously – well, it was obvious to me and it was obvious to people – who follow me on Twitter that I'm just being an idiot. Mm. Um, but when I tried to be that idiot, which (laughs) on Facebook, it was like, uh, I don't know why you said this about, you know, um, these, these apples really are not really good for pies. I don't remember what it was, but it was like a very, very serious response. Well, I mean, that's like uh, the thing
0: about Facebook that we're talking about. I mean, everyone, they, they take everything so seriously and they're looking, very literal. they're looking for someone to fuck up and they're looking for someone to attack. So yeah, there's really not a lot of room for uh, joking or sarcasm or being subtle, subtly humorous about something because you're going to have to explain in great detail exactly what you meant and why you find it funny. It's, it's really not worth it. <laughs>
1: no, it's really not. Yeah. I want to start being brain dead on LinkedIn, though. That's that's the next level challenge to me is like, yeah, you can be you can say brain dead things on Twitter and Facebook like anybody can do that. But but why not LinkedIn where it's really completely out of place? That's the challenge for 2021 is to get real awkward. I'm going to have to make a LinkedIn
0: (laughs) right after this reserve my name. (laughs) <laughs> is to get quickly banned from LinkedIn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you won't get banned, but, but you, will, uh, you will definitely never be hired again. It is ever. such a weird thing, though, like
0: how <laughs> just going from one website to the other with the exact same content, you receive wildly different results and, and uh, reactions to it. Like It could be extremely positive if you post it here, but extremely negative if you post it here. Or just 100% confusing. Like uh, uh, some things, I'll I, I have this problem with TikTok. I don't really understand who's on TikTok or what they want to see or what they're into. Mm-hmm. So it's just like constantly trying new things to see what works and then uh, what doesn't work and gets me suspended.
1: I do want to want to point out that LinkedIn is a friend of the Create Unknown, and we're a friend of LinkedIn. And uh, if you go to LinkedIn.com/create, you'll get fifty dollars off your first job post. Oh wow! So that was a good go. tie-in. We went into a very nice plug on that, didn't we? Um, Boromir has asked me about pizza. I don't know why, but it only take two seconds. What's my what's my least favorite pizza? Because we did have a segment episodes ago, actually about a year ago, about about favorite pizza. Uh, my least favorite pizza is something that doesn't have red sauce. It's really that simple. Okay, if it's one of those white pizzas where it's like dough, then cheese, or some odd. Alfredo white cream or something like that—it <laughs> it ceases to be pizza. This is a different dish, <laughs> barbecue pizza, where it's barbecue sauce mm-hmm. and then chicken. Like I love all the components of these things, but it's not pizza. Don't call it that. So <laughs> barbecue
0: pizza, pizza is a has bastardization pizza. It's not no. that
1: good, is it? No. What's your What's your favorite? If you so, the entire pizza bar is open. They will get any ingredient you want. They will do any crust you want. What pizza are you constructing?
0: Mm, uh, I'll I really eat most any pizza, but I, I really like the, uh, the greasy thin slice, simple cheese with pepperoni. And, um, yeah, that's yeah. about it. Something that'll give me heartburn and make me regret it the next day. <laughs> I will say,
2: uh, I'll piggyback on your white pizza comment and just mention that every pizza. I don't know what it is. Every five years or something, I forget how boring I think white pizza is, and I'll order it, thinking like just looking at it, like that looks really different and really awesome, and I want that, and I'll get it, and then immediately regret it, like through like one bite in, I'm like, why do I keep forgetting that I don't really like this? <laughs> like it's fine. It's I'll eat it, but if the alternative is pepperoni pizza with you know marinara sauce, whatever, it's a million times better. Well,
0: it's like going to CeCe's back in the day where you have the choice of 50 different pizzas <laughs> and you can take a slice of each and uh, your body almost instantly rejects it because it's, it's unnatural.
1: <laughs> CeCe's buffet is the, one of the better laxatives oh, yeah. in the world. Uh, Dojangles and the, the baby gang says, California Pizza Kitchen's barbecue chicken pizza is the sex. Um, I've got the, I've got the window open to ban her from the discord <laughs> server right now. And, and if, if I get enough votes here, I will push
2: I do button. like that. I do like barbecue pizza. I don't find that. I, I'll get that every now and then I'll be fine with that decision. It's like, I'll just make that like clear. It's like the
0: Bill Cosby sex though. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> what does that even it's mean? It's just, not, it's not good sex.
0: It's, it's, uh, it's the bad kind. Coerced yeah. and illegal? Yeah. And sh- and should be.
1: Yeah, I think there's actually a different word they use for that. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> horrific and life ruining. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, good God. Okay, so this is. Um, well, Kino's got to. Uh, I said I wouldn't ask this, but I'm going to because it really is a yes or no kind of question. Have you ever had sexual relations with Emperor Lemon? Uh, no. I suspected it was going to be. Yeah, no.
0: And I never will. Uh,
1: Emperor Lemon. And and you won't. Okay. Well, that's that's news then. If you've committed to uh, keeping this a no for the the future, then
0: wait. Did did he say
1: something? (laughs) I I know nothing about this. All I do is is read the questions. All
0: right. All right. I'll I'll go with no then for now.
1: (laughs) We'll keep that a mystery then. Okay. Okay. Uh, Kino's real question, and and this is a great one for us to end with here is, uh, were there real life inspirations behind the characters in Requiem of the Crazies? And if so, who are they?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Back when I used to play in a band, uh, like I said, like 10 years ago or whatever, there was, there was this homeless guy named Bullet who used to come up to the venue and not really harass people. It's not like he was just asking for money, but he just liked to talk to people and people would give him money. But uh he had uh he was the inspiration for one of the main characters Vern cuz he's just like an old black guy with balding hair like really patchy and uh this guy bullet i remember once he he pulled me close and he said or he, was, he wanted to tell me a joke and he pulled me close he said i'd fuck you in the ear but you'd hear me coming and i, I remember <sighs> oh, that was oh, a little little hacky <laughs> but it was it was funny coming from <laughs> this really sketchy homeless dude <laughs> But also he he would go on and talk about how he lost his family. He used to play the saxophone, and he got addicted to drugs. And he's got a daughter and a wife out there somewhere. So that kind of stuck with me. It Seemed like a it was a really interesting dude who just kind of disappeared over the years. Probably dead.
1: And when was that? Like when? What was the era? When you were doing uh, that?
0: 2010, 2009 ish.
1: Okay, so good good ten plus years. Yeah, I, I
0: actually wrote I, I used that that character in a few songs actually, or in one song. Um called Requiem of the Crazies. I'm really not original when it comes to coming up with new titles. Once I have something, I just use it for everything. So I had a song about homeless people called Requiem of the Crazies, and the main character is a a version of this character, Bullet. Um, That's good.
2: I have one more question. I actually have two more questions, sorry. One is two? a fun question we ask everybody, but the other one is just, to satiate my own curiosity, do you have a sense of how many issues uh, the comic will run for?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm planning for eight issues. And each issue is about 35, and they'll probably be 35 to 45 pages of actual comic book. Um, And I think I can get the story done in eight issues. Now, I haven't really written anything this long before, so it's possible that I'll have to do more to really get the story out there. Cause I don't want to like limit myself to eight issues and then have to rush the ending. So, but yeah, right. pro- probably about there, maybe eight to 10, something like that. Okay.
2: Well, um, I will be picking up all of them before that. Uh, we let you get out of here though. Um, we like to showcase the creativity of our guests. That's kind of the point of this podcast. It's called the create unknown. And one of the ways that we'd like to do that is just to ask our guests to come up with, a sponsor for the episode. It can be literally anything: make up a product, make up a brand, make up uh, a rival podcast. Uh, anything literally you want will become your sponsor for th- your episode of the Create Unknown. So, um, and you could just do, you know, the the ad read um, for that for that sponsor. So, whatever you want. It's all you. Okay.
0: All right. This episode is brought to you by Dirty Jerry's Instant Mash Potatoes. Now, you've all eaten mashed potatoes. Sure, they're good, but they just take forever. I mean, you got to buy potatoes, you got to mash them up, you end up using a stick of butter. If only there was a way that you could instantly make mashed potatoes. Well, with Dirty Jerry's Instant Mash, that is exactly what you can do. Now, these potatoes, come from the finest potato fields of uh, Idaho and uh, guaranteed to not give you the runs. That is (laughs) Uncle Dirty Jerry's mashed potato promise. And they're very cheap.
1: Do... Do mashed potatoes tend to do that for people? I, I've never really. Is that a common mashed potato problem? That's what I liked about it. That's what I
2: liked about the problem. It's, it's an easy it's guarantee. Like no one, no one's having this problem, so we can we can promise you
0: that you won't have yeah, it's it. It's about with solving ours. a problem that no it's, one has, and you will be one hundred percent successful every time.
1: It's the classic uh, under promise and over right, deliver. Right.
2: Very effective. It is. I love the name dirty Dirty jerrys Jerry's. that's that's the brand that i rely upon and you can also
0: get (laughs) flavored it's the only potatoes we eat you can get flavored versions of this instant mash um there's there's pickles there's gatorade um (laughs) vodka i don't know what
2: color what color gatorade all of them or just red or what red mashed
0: potatoes what would be the what would be the most disgusting color of mashed potatoes probably purple high C ecto-, Icy, ecto green yeah yeah all, all of these work you can get them in all colors yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> green mashed potatoes sounds pretty bad <laughs> I think I'm gonna try it <laughs> <laughs> um well um actually before we let you get out of here um tell us more about your your campaign for uh, issue three where people can go uh, how long it's running for and uh, where they can pick up uh the the third installment of requiem of, of the crazies Okay great
0: um yeah requiem of the crazies i'm currently crowdfunding it on indiegogo and you can get a link to that by going to requiemofthecrazies.com uh though the crowdfunding campaign has reached its goal here's a little secret i set the goal very low in order to get it on the trending page on indiegogo once you reach the goal it uh hmm. it kind of says that your project's doing very well anyways um You can get the third issue of Requiem of the Crazies there. I also offer a lot of other cool things. You can get the first two issues along with some of the perks. Stickers, patches, posters, pins, limited time items that you can only get on this campaign. And this campaign's running for, I think, another 46 days until it technically ends. But really, you can leave the campaign open. So there's no big rush. However, if you go there and uh, and contribute now you will have the exclusive first come first serve deal, which I don't really have any benefits for, but I'd greatly appreciate it.
1: <laughs> we'll put that link in uh, at the top of this description here. because we really want people to check it out. It's It's been so good to see you uh, go on to a third one here. You know, a project like that, you never quite know how it's going to be received. The first one killed it. Second one killed it. Now you're on to number three of what sounds like should be eight or so. Um that's awesome. So we'll pop uh, those links in. Pretty much, pretty much all the rusty link, uh, rusty cage links that matter are going to be at the top of this description. So,
0: oh yeah. Also, uh, sorry on the campaign. This, I didn't mean, to yeah. interrupt. Uh, if you haven't read the first two and you want to, I have them online. So all the pages are online. The link is on the Indiegogo campaign. If you just scroll down, you'll see a link where you can read part one and part two for free. Nice.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I- I'm just so excited that you're doing a comic, dude. Like. Everybody has yeah. T-shirts or you know pins, and you're doing something that you are really passionate about, and very few YouTubers have ever done. So that's very exciting to me, and yeah. that's why I'm happy to support well, it. it. And uh, I would love, yeah, for more people to to go check it out. Um, we we ran long because we just got into intense long. stuff <laughs> that I didn't even think this we is, were going to get into. This but is the,
1: the John Holmes of T C podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't look up that <laughs> reference, anyone yeah, who no, doesn't no, no, know no, who no. that is.
1: And Tom, don't put the link in the chat either. Skip this one. <laughs> yeah, skip
2: that. Just ignore it. Ignore that one. Um, thank you to all of uh, the lurkers who uh, hung out with us. All the yeah. lurkers who are checking us out for the first time. We're here every Wednesday night because, and this is the only reason, TCU night is Wednesday night. So yes, whatever you're doing the rest of the week. You know, good luck. I hope all of those days work out really well for you. But remember that Wednesday night, you come here six p.m. Eastern time. We're on the Discord, and if you want to chat with us, then you just have to become a patron. It's two bucks. It's two bucks. Go to Patreon.com/slash/theCreateUnknown and uh, and go do that. Start as a two-dollar tot, and then who knows? Six six months from now, you're going to be in the baby gang, and your life is just going to be completely upside down. Yeah. yeah. In the best possible way, uh, Rusty. Thank you again for hanging out so long and for hanging out with us at all. And uh, yeah, man, good luck. I on appreciate. Your it. Thank you
0: for having me on. I had a lot of fun. I hope my uh, right. I hope my mouth we'll wasn't see you. really spitty. I feel like I can hear it in my headphones.
1: <laughs> I didn't know. Sounds good to me, but yeah, but that's that's going to be Ben's problem when he uh, edits our our, uh, uh, sorry, our audio. Man. So as long as it's not a, a Kevin and Matt problem, <laughs> <laughs> then it's fine
2: thank you guys <laughs> I don't think it's a problem alright see you space cowboys
1: thanks for listening to the create unknown we'd like to extend a huge thank you and congratulations to the tots and dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every month a tremendous shout out to our elite baby gang Trevstad, dad Bot Dogs, Chinchilla Isaac Conrad James Jeff Davis Patrick Pister Baseweight and Dojangles and thank you to our grizzled battle-hardened child infantry Jen Mephisanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebred, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Monaham, Ryan Kinder, Sheep, and Maruko. Thank you as well to our producer and editor, Ben Webster, and to our media manager, Dan Yosua. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production.